Uh, have you guys ever wanted something so bad, you'll do whatever it takes to get it? Like you see that thing, maybe I'm going to save money, or you want this, to, this person to have a relationship, you do whatever it takes. Or if you're like me, you're scrolling Facebook and you see this item on Amazon you just have to have, and so you just go buy it. Like, that's me. I, I have a problem, okay? Like, have you ever had that one thing? When I, when I think about that question, I think about my father-in-law, Dan Schaefer. He is, uh, if you know, some of you know him, and there's one thing he is unapologetic about, and that is his allegiance to Purdue University. And some of you are like sulking inside because you hate Purdue, you're an IU fan. Some of you inside are cheering. But he loves Purdue. He graduated from there. He met his wife there. Um, just loves Purdue, even when they're really bad and they lose to Peacocks in the, the Sweet 16, whatever it is, like through thick and thin, he's there most of the time in tears. But one thing he's also wanted in life is for his kids to be Purdue fans. We all want our kids to cheer for the same sports teams we do. Uh, so he always wanted his kids uh, to do that. And there was a moment in life where he knew he, he, he'd accomplished everything he wanted to do. Interesting question. Does anybody know the last time IU won a basketball na national championship? He does. March 30th, 1987. Because while his wife was giving birth to his first child, he had to begrudgingly watch IU win a national championship. I think it was a very bittersweet day for him. You know, to watch IU win, unfortunately, but yet still have a child. Like, it was very bittersweet. But there was a moment when Danielle, my wife, she did it for him. She said her first sentence. You guys know what that sentence was? Remember, this is 1980s. Bobby Knight is a jerk. <laughs> yes, that was Danielle's first complete sentence. Bobby Knight was a jerk. I'm pretty sure he was just ready to retire from parenting in that moment. He had reached it. He had done it. He got what he wanted. And we all want things in life, right? But some of us want more important things than some people do, right? We're in the middle of our uh, Kingdom Parables series right now where we look at some parables from Jesus in the book of Luke. Uh, and we, we look at Luke's words and as he challenges us as listeners to live with kingdom perspective and what that looks like for our life. So this morning as we continue on this journey, we're going to open up to the book of Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to be looking at the first of two, of, we're going to look at two of the three similar parables in this chapter, and I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them these parables. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated.
Here in chapter 15, we find three different parables, and really there's four different storylines that Jesus is telling. The first two, or the ones that we just read, are, are similar to the, the third parable, but that parable is a little more complex and there's more to that story. So make sure to join us back next week when Joel digs into the parable of the lost son. But before we look into the parables of themselves, I think it's important to look at why Jesus tells them in the first place. I think we can find this answer in verses one and two. Here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So just so we're clear, Jesus is telling these parables because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained that Jesus was eating with sinners. Now, complaining about Jesus hanging out with sinners was not a new thing in Scripture. Most notably, we find it later in Luke 19 when he eats at the house of Zacchaeus. And I love the word they use here, muttered. could also be translated as they grumbled. And Luke is the only gospel writer to use this specific word, this mumbling word of all the gospel writers. He's the only one. And he uses it here, and then he uses it again with Zacchaeus when people grumbled that he ate with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. But the word actually stems back all the way to the Old Testament, uh, the, the Hebrew word found in Exodus 15 and 16. At this moment, all of the Israelites have been freed from slavery. They were in slavery from Pharaoh in Egypt. They got freed and they miraculously crossed the Red Sea and had been following Moses and Aaron for some time in the wilderness. And they get to a point where they're tired and they just begin to grumble. In Exodus 16, verses two and three. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It still blows my mind that the Israelites, after just walking on dry ground through the Red Sea, one of the first things they can do is complain. And I love what they complain about. Did you catch it? Food. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Food, we don't have good food to eat. You've brought us out here to die. But they're complaining after everything what that God has done. But I think as it boils down to the reasons why the Israelites grumbled and why I think the Pharisees and the teachers of the law grumbled, and I think it's the reason why we often fail to follow what God wants for our life. It's because of fear and we love our comfort. I think outside of Elsa, no one loves going into the unknown, Right? No one loves that. It's scary. No one knows. It's uncomfortable. Change is hard. We don't love that. And the Israelites didn't love the fact that they were wandering in the desert, had no idea where their meal was coming from. It was hot. They were sweaty. They had no idea how long they would be wandering. The Pharisees had grown up in a faith that was very, very much works-based. I have to follow this law and follow these rules and don't do this and I have to do that, making sure they stay away from sinning. Not only that, but staying away from sinners, right? You had to follow this to a T and now they're spending time and learning from this Jesus who wants nothing more than to be as close to sinners as possible. And it's scary. And it makes them uncomfortable that everything that they had known and knew growing up now was starting to change because they were following this Jesus and they were now going into the unknown. So knowing his listeners are coming from this place of fear and this desire for comfort, Jesus tells these parables. Now each of the first two parables in Luke 15 have the same basic storyline. At its core, something is lost, 
the sheep and the coin, to something is searched for, to something is found, and then there is a celebration. In the bigger picture, I think it's interesting to note as we look at the first three parables in Luke 15, Jesus becomes more and more targeted with his point. With the parable of the lost sheep, he has 100 sheep. With the coins, the woman has 10 coins, and the father has two sons. Jesus becomes more and more narrowed in on the point that he is trying to make with these Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So this morning, we're going to look at a few things that I believe Jesus is trying to get across to these people in these parables. The first thing, which I think is foundational, ground level to everything Jesus was about was this, is that Jesus longs for lost people to be found. Jesus longs for lost people to be found. There's no denying that here, and Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that sinners, those who are deemed outcasts, those who are shown no value in society, he shows that, that you have value. Again, in the math alone, it doesn't matter whether you have 100, 10, or 2. If I go looking for something, that means it's important. And Jesus in these parables is saying, I'm going to look for them because they are important. And not only that, when they found them, there was a party. I'm sorry, we don't celebrate things that are not important, right? So Jesus celebrates the finding of these things. And even outside these parables, we find from Jesus' life and his words how much Jesus wants lost things to be found. We find in Luke 19.10, when he's talking to Zacchaeus, here's what he says. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is why Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to make lost things become found. That's Jesus' purpose here on earth, to make lost things found. And I think it's only fitting and appropriate for me right now to bring up the Christmas story. Okay? We are only 202 days away from Christmas, so make sure you're ready. Get your shopping going. I hear you can find some good things on Amazon. But in Luke 2, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, do you remember what he said to them? He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Right? Not just some of the people or most of the people. Jesus came for all people. And it's sad, really. The outside of the disciples, and even they miss it some of the time, the people following Jesus missed the point that he clearly wanted to show them people are worth finding, even the worst of sinners. Now, while Jesus clearly states that he came to find lost people, we see it should, we see it should be important to us as some of Jesus' final words here on earth we can find in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not just important to Jesus and why he came, but Jesus says, go and do the same thing. Go and make disciples. Go help lost people be found in me. That's what Jesus calls us to do as well. The second thing I believe we learn from these parables is this is that Jesus calls us to be intentional. The shepherd with the sheep, the woman with the coin, did not actually accidentally find what was lost. They took direct and intentional steps to make sure what was lost is now found. They left other sheep behind. They lit lamps. They swept the floor. They looked intently for what was lost. And honestly, as a parent, I feel like I spend half of my days looking for lost things, shoes, toys, backpacks, you name it, my kids lose it, 
right? Even when Daniel and I remodeled our house, I said, we have to have a mudroom so the kids know exactly where everything goes. And I've sat them down and I've sat my wife down. This is where shoes go. Pull this out, put it in. This is where your coat goes. This is where bags go. Danielle, this is where your keys go. Never mind the, found, the fact that we found a pair of keys that had been lost for two years just this week and they found it by, outside by the sandbox. We're still working on it, okay? And by we, I mean Daniel. But Eli is the worst of it all. He loses track of everything. Everything, especially he has his favorite green shoes. He loves these green shoes. We first bought him for him. That's all he ever wanted to wear any other time. But then it came to a moment, he lost one of the green shoes. And we looked, we looked everywhere in the car, where we had been, in the house. We couldn't find it anywhere. And Eli was just devastated because he loved those green shoes. So we love our son. So we do what parents did. We went and bought him another pair of green shoes. What do you know? What do you think we found the day after we bought the shoes? The other green shoe, right? And I wish I could say that's the only thing that's happened. That's the only time that's happened with those shoes because we now have three pairs of green shoes <laughs> in our house. And wouldn't you know it, this weekend I told him to get his shoes. Go find the green ones. Daniel says, well, they're lost again. It's, it's a problem. Please pray for us in the green shoes. <laughs> but long story short, for my kids' shoes, I knew, we learned, it took three times, but the most intentional thing we can do to find those shoes is to buy another pair, right? So we have to be intentional about everything we do to find lost people. I love what Aaron Chambers says in his book, Eats with Sinners. He says this, fish don't jump into the boat. Good soil doesn't jump onto the seeds. Disciples don't make themselves. Sheep, coins, and sons don't find themselves. We have to go to their spots and look for them. I love that. We have to go to their spot and look for them. The shepherd did not wait to see if the sheep would come wandering back. The woman didn't just wait around and see, well, maybe one day I'll find this coin. And with Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't wait for him to come to the temple. No, they went to their spots. They went where lost things and lost people were to help them become found. What spots do you need to start leaning into? What spots do you need to start going to? And I know a lot of us, we're really busy. Our lives are very full. We've got ball games. We've got work. We've got school. We've got all the things. But what would it look like to start to be intentional in those spots? What if at the ball game you didn't sit by the same six people every time? What if you got to know one of the other parents on your kid's team? What if at work, instead of talking about the score of the game last night, you open up about your life and what God is doing. What would it look like to be intentional about the spots that you're already in? We lose great opportunities when we're just trying to coast through life and getting to the next day, the next thing, the next thing, when we lose potential to be intentional where God has placed us in this season. I would tell our high school students all the time, in four years, you will not be with these people anymore. I'm only friends with I think two people that I graduated high school with. And I'm only friends with the one of them because I married her, right? <laughs> the end of the day, the high school students, you will not probably be really good friends with these people in four years. And whether we like it or not, as adults, we know people are coming in in our lives on a consistent basis. Just yesterday, Danielle and I helped move people who have been in our small group 
for five or six years who'd been in our life were important people and they're moving away. People move, things change. But how can you be intentional in the space that you have right now in your life? I recently had a conversation with a friend who kind of experienced this, that he had God place an opportunity in front of him, a place where he was in one of those spots and chose to lean in. So this is a story of my friend Brody. It was too important a story for me not to share with you. So I recorded this week with, this week with Brody, so check this out. Uh, my name is Brody Stith. Um, I work at Peru Police Department. I've been there about a year. Uh, married to my wife, Kaylee. She teaches at Metro North, first grade teacher. I have three kids, Brogan, Hudson, and Layton. Uh, we attend Bachelor Creek Church of Christ. So as I was growing up, I always wanted to be a police officer. It was always in the back of my mind that that's what I wanted to do in life. Um, that was my dream. And getting older, it never changed. I graduated high school, and after high school, as soon as I hit 21, I started applying to uh, police departments. Um, uh, door kept closing, kept closing. Um, so I thought, you know, what, what am I doing here? Um, what, what does God have for me? Right before my first kid was born, I uh, changed my life around, rededicated my life. Um, to me, I like to say I got saved for the first time because I got the true understanding of, of who God was and that true relationship. God opened up a door for me to go into ministry, trying to get involved with campus life and other surrounding churches, and then got into being a youth pastor um, at a local church. So last year, once a chief called me um, from Peru City Police Department and just asked me if I would apply to uh, the department. When I did, um, I was kind of hesitant on it, but I did, a, me and my wife, we did a lot of praying over it and, you know, stepping away, I knew that it was in God's timing um, and for him to open up that door, he did. And so once I got accepted into uh, the department and got hired on, um, I went down to the police academy last year. Doing so, that's a 12 week um, down there at, in Plainfield. Um, you stay in like a dorm down there at the police academy. Uh, it's with about 120 other male and females. And in doing so, you're down there Monday through Friday. Being away from my family was going to be hard, not being able to do the little things of tuck them in bed, give them a hug and kiss every day, and just uh, to be able to be present in their life. Um, talking to them through the phone was going to be extremely difficult for me. And I was not looking forward to it, but um, I knew there was a purpose. So as me and my wife prayed about it, um, after my first week down there, I was kind of, you know, I was excited about the first week, but then after that, I was, I was very hesitant. You know, I'm down there with a bunch of, my roommate was 21 years old, um, a bunch of those guys, you know, vary from 21 to 26 years old. Um, I was just kind of looking around like, what am I doing? You know, I came home to my wife and was like, you know, what am I doing here? Like, I know uh, the long-term goal for this is, but you know, what, what am I doing down here? What am I putting myself through? We begin praying about that. Okay, God, what is it that you want me to see out of this? What is it that you want me to do out of this? What is it that you want me to get out of this? Well, my roommate was 21. Uh, as another individual came in, he was 22. Um, he came in and talked to me and asked me if I had, uh, if I feared God. And I said, yeah, you know, I fear him in an all aspect, um, meaning I don't want to let him down. Um, I don't want to disappoint him. And he's like, you go to church? And I said, yeah. And if I took my kids to church, um, and I told him, yeah. And I asked him kind of the same question, you know, do you, do you have a relationship with God? Do you believe in God? And he says, yeah, I, I pray, but you know, I don't really go to church or anything and don't read my Bible a whole lot. 
And so in doing so, we started talking more about Christ and, you know, what that true relationship with Christ is and uh, how do we grow that. You know, the, the guy I started talking to, he came to me and he asked me, he said, hey, you know, we have a chapel down there at the police academy. And he asked me, when we come back on Sunday nights, would you be willing to, you know, just preach a sermon to us on Sunday nights? Or can we start up a Bible study to where we can start opening up our Bibles and really growing and learning more about Christ? Because, you know, I don't really know too much about him. And I was caught off guard, but it goes back onto that prayer that I had with God of, hey, you know, what do you want me to get out of this? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? You know, how do you want to use me? And to be able to see something like that, uh, going from being by myself to now having 10 to 12 guys in my dorm talking about Christ. And we got to be intentional um, in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever it may be, to be able to reach people and have those conversations with them. I love that. Bertie prayed a simple prayer saying, God, what's your purpose here? Help me lean into the spot that I'm in. And it turned into a, a weekly Bible study. He said during three nights a week, guys would come in and flock in his room and he would talk to them about Jesus. That's what it looks like to lean into the spot you're at. Brody didn't love being away from his family, away from his wife for 12 weeks straight, but he used that time better than he ever could. Being willing to lean into what God, the opportunity he had placed in front of him, and he leaned in. What are the areas in your life that you need to lean into? Where are those spots for you? The third thing I think Jesus wants us to learn from these parables is this. Jesus shows us that joy and celebration are on the other side of fear and comfort. Both the Israelites in Exodus and for the Pharisees, I believe fear and comfort is what's keeping them from really seeing what God is doing in those moments. And one of my favorite things about these parables is the celebration that happens after these lost things are found. And Jesus even mentions the party that happens, the rejoicing that happens when one sinner repents. Can you imagine what that party is like? It's gotta be awesome. And when I think about this and the celebration and joy, I can't help but think of a story in Luke chapter eight. Jesus is traveling on a boat and he reaches the shore and he is met by a man who is demon-possessed. And it says the man had been possessed for a really long time. He was naked, he was homeless, and he was in chains in the tombs there along the shore. And when Jesus meets this man, the demons beg of him, please don't send me into the abyss. So Jesus sends the, the, the demons into the pigs that were nearby. Then the pigs immediately rush off a cliff and into a lake, and they all drown and die. But this man who was once in chains is now free. This man who was lost is now found, and we will pick up the story here, and surely there's a big celebration about to happen, right? Luke chapter eight, starting in verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man who had, whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. 
what should be a celebration of a man who was lost, a celebration of a man who has been in chains and is now found and free, are scared and uncomfortable, and they ask Jesus to leave. I wonder how many of us are afraid of what might happen if we get a little messy, if things aren't as clean as we want them to be as we strive to reach lost people. For me, this picture is a little small piece of what it looks like in my life. I have an opportunity to be a Kids Hope mentor, and this is me and my kid flying a kite the last week of school. I won't need to mention that he accidentally left go of the flight while I was taking a picture and the kite is long gone, but that's besides the point. But week after week, we have deep conversations, but golly guys, it's messy of what parent is in and out of jail this week, where he slept this weekend, and just life for him is just messy. And week after week, I get to lean into him and help him and just be a consistent person in his life, just trying to make lost things found, just trying to give him just a little bit of hope. But this story isn't about me. This is simply one way I try to be intentional about finding joy and celebrating those moments. And a side note real quick, if you're looking for an opportunity like this with Kids Hope, in the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking more about it, sharing more stories about uh, how you can get involved in Kids Hope. If that's something you're thinking about, I, I can't encourage you enough to dive in, to lean into that spot, because that's a really incredible spot to be in the life uh, of a student here just at Metro North and Sharp Creek. I can't encourage you enough. So be on the lookout for that in the next couple weeks. The last thing from these parables that I think is important uh, for us to notice it's just that Jesus wants us to recognize our own lostness. Jesus wants us to recognize our own lostness. It's so easy to be a Pharisee and say, this is my life, I have it all together, but we can't, simply can't lose sight of the fact that we too are lost. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 1.15 Words from Paul where it says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. This is not meant as a pity party or woe is me and my sin, but each and every day we must sit and reflect on the fact that we do not get what we deserve. Christ ultimately came that we could have hope. And I think for us to truly seek and to save the lost per people, we must first recognize the lostness in ourselves. The fact that the only thing that brings us hope is Jesus. Aaron Chambers, in his book, Eats with Sinner, puts it this way. said, lost people are just looking for hope. Some are looking for it in the pursuit of wealth, pleasure, relationships, corporate success, or physical perfection. Some look for hope in the emotional escape of intoxication or drug-induced high, but Jesus gives hope for sinners. Jesus brings hope for sinners, and Jesus brings hope for me and for you. This brings me, this hope brings me to one last truth. You won't find it in your notes, you won't find it on your screen, because I think there's a few of you who probably need to write this on the paper this morning. And the truth is this, that you are not too lost. 
Some of you, your whole lives have been telling yourselves you are lost and there is no hope for you to be found. There are too many of us in this room who believe the lies in our head that says, no one loves me, no one cares about me, I am just too far gone. God, you don't understand the things that I've done in my life. You don't understand the things I've experienced. I am too far lost. I have made too many bad choices. I've done too many bad things in my life. You are not too lost. There is hope in Jesus for your life. You can keep looking everywhere you want to, turn in to pornography, to sex, relationships, drugs, or just self-harm, whatever it is, the only real hope you will find is in Jesus because he's the only one that says you are worth finding and you are not too lost. And some of us need to believe that in our mind because the biggest liar we believe is ourselves. We allow Satan to speak too many lies to us. We believe what too many people say about us. You need to understand and write it on your arm, on your forehead, whatever it takes, you are not too lost. And that's a truth too many of us forget. Jesus wants lost things to be found and no one is too lost. So this morning, whether you're you're someone who feels that way or not, we have a responsibility. Jesus wants lost things found. A, are you willing to finally be found by Jesus? Are you willing to stop believing the lies that you tell yourself or the lies that other people tell you and finally accept this hope that is Jesus? Or B, are you the person who finally needs to start giving hope to somebody who needs some hope? Are you the person who needs to lean into the spots that you have in your life to give people the only hope that will help them survive in life? We're one of the two. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and so should we. May they be found in Christ alone. And second, Michael and the band, are just, they're gonna sing a song. This is a moment, if you feel like you've been lost your whole life, this is your moment to be found. We will have people up front that we would love to talk to you about what it looks like to find real life and real hope in Jesus. Well, this morning you need prayer to help you lean into those spots in your life. We would love to pray for you. If you wanna join the church, we would love to help you. This is your moment to respond to how God is moving in your life. Let's go help lost things be found in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the example you've set before us. God, of your desire for lost things to be found. And God, I pray that people can be found in you today. They can start believing the truth of Scripture. God, that you are, that they are there your prized possession, God, that they are your handiwork, your craftsmanship. They have value because you say they do. God, may the rest of us, may we start believing the truth that God lost things deserve to be found and it's our job to help them become found in you. God, help us bring hope to our coworkers at the Ball Diamond and some of us in our own homes. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for finding me. 
God, we love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.